All right. That person, thank you for the super chat, says, why do we still sin? We know it's a dumb thing to do. I mean, for the same reason, you know, like, uh, you know, the flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I mean, we still are stuck in these bodies that are corrupted and are going to die. And so we have different desires pulling us in different directions. And until we get our resurrected bodies, we're going to have this struggle going on. So it just unfortunately what the the fact of the matter is and so you know we know it's dumb but we do it uh for, you know for the same reason it'd be i know it'd be better if i just ate healthy food but sometimes i just really want some sugar i mean just the way it is yeah and we and part of this is preparing us i think ultimately for heaven in the sense that we see how dumb this was during this life we get we're going through like a university of sin my daughters each of them when they were very small they would they they had a sandbox outside and they would occasionally put sand in their mouth and then spit it out. They did this more than once, but I don't worry that when they're 35, they're going to be across town downing buckets of sand with a sand addiction because they will have learned that, as you say, that is dumb. And I think when we get to heaven, it will sin will be like the question of, well, we'll be free to sin. Will we still have free will? Now that that's the question asked, I think, well, it'd be like eating sand at that point. It, it, why would you ever do that? You don't have to worry about that. That's absurd. And um, so I think we will see one day that it's a dumb thing to do. No. All right. Ruben says, how would morality work? And thank you for that incredible super chat. How would morality work if the world was created by a pantheon of gods? Would it be subjective or objective? Because all the gods seem to do what is right. And so I mean, morality is morality, objective or subjective in their own eyes. How would the gods morality apply to mortals and the world they created? Because they could have different moral codes. And how yeah. does it make any of it objective? Defend this uh, pantheistic situation, IP. So, I mean, I think he's right. I think if there was a pantheon of different gods, and I don't think morality would be objective. I right. think if there was no actual creator and objective source of morality, it would just be absolute chaos. I don't think people would think about, you know, things like torturing babies for fun is objectively wrong. I think people would, you know, when we think about moral values and duties, we think there's justice needs to be required if a moral duty is violated, for example. Uh, I don't think people would have that same intuition, for example. I think people would actually be like, whatever, that's just their thing they do over there. Um, I may not like it if it takes away my power, or I may not like it if, it if it affects me, but I think you'd have just utter chaos. I don't think you would have a lot of objective reasoning going on. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you got to think of it like you cannot think of it in terms of you know, the way the, the reality, I think, would be fundamentally different in so many ways that we it's be very hard for us to even fathom what it would be like honestly nothing to add mtg thank you for the super chat said how would you handle the argument from teleological evil parasitic animals predation pre-fall etc why would an all-loving god create in such a theoretically evil methodology yeah so i mean i have a whole video on this called the problem of suffering a christian response i'd highly recommend you check out uh, that would be the first place to go. And one of the things I do is I argue from the concept of triumph. Uh, it's this idea that uh, God has sort of created a world and he wants to create a world with the best possible virtues, the best goodness. The best virtues can only come about through the process of triumph. That is where good triumphs over evil. For example, the virtue of courage could not exist if there were not fears to overcome. The virtue of compassion could not exist if we couldn't actually uh, sympathize with people that are going through struggles. So... I make a comparison often to how we often vote with our feet. If you had to pick between watching all the seasons of the Teletubbies right now or the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition, be honest, 99% of you, 99.999% of you would pick Lord of the Rings. 
But why? You just picked a world with evil. You picked a world with suffering. Why are you not going to pick the world with Teletubbies where there's none of that? Because we, like God, prefer a world with triumph. We prefer characters that have character arcs, that struggle against something, but overcome it and become much better. Frodo, Frodo Baggins, who went to Mount Doom, is far more interesting than Frodo Baggins, who never went to Mount Doom. He's a much more enlightened uh, character who's grown, who's overcome struggles. He's a much more worthy son of God, so to speak. And so this is the same argument I make in that video, that because the best possible goodness requires triumph, God is going to create a world where there is some sort of evil to overcome that is not directly from him, but he allows for it. So that's my argument. The longer version, see the video. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. I'll tell you, I think there is a completely different type of suffering going on with the Teletubbies and it never gets resolved. And so for that, that small non-zero percentage that goes to the Teletubbies, they will experience that suffering and they were, they have chosen it. The door to the Teletubbies has been locked from the inside. All right, Lavro, I'm going to go with Lavro, and I'm not even going to attempt the last name. Thank you for that super chat. It says, thank you for doing God's work. As a man, my question is, do I need a wife or not as a Christian? Genesis 2.18, question mark. I assume not, but I wanted to hear your opinion. So I think the question is, do I need to be a wife, or do I need to have a wife in order to be a good Christian? Uh, Michael, the floor is yours. So yeah, Matthew 19, Jesus clearly says, no, that, that's not the case. So he talks about how uh, he says, uh, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, talking about uh, uh, the idea of divorce is what he's talking about, but only those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let, let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. So there Jesus is talking about eunuchs. Uh, specifically, he's talking about spiritual eunuchs. He's not saying, make yourself a eunuch. Sorry, Origin. What you did was a little weird and wrong, okay? Yes, Origin made himself a eunuch. Yes, that was weird. But Jesus is saying, look, there are some people that are going to be celibate, and they're going to not get married for the sake of the kingdom. Paul talks about this, you know, because he doesn't have a, um, a spouse or a family. He can keep traveling around, spreading the gospel and doing these type of things. And so, you know, it's easier for him to actually go out around, around and spread the gospel. It talks about it in 1 Corinthians 7. So, no, you, as a Christian, you're not required to marry. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Just know that you're living for Christ and use that extra time you have to get the gospel out and go further. That's what Christ commands. So find a way to do ministry more. Uh, that This is what Christ really does want us to do. Uh, both Braxton and I have families. And, yes, we have to devote time to our families because if you're married, your first ministry is your family. Period. End of story. I, if I don't make time for my family, I'm not doing this right. So that is my first ministry. End of story. Uh, like I didn't start doing my channel full time until I was making enough from supporters and donors to actually do this. Uh, because why? I had to take care of my family. That was the first thing to do. So if you do have a family, take care of them first. Yeah, the only thing I would add, Michael, is that if someone is a Christian and they wonder how they sh they understand now, I don't have to get married, but should I get married? Um, in First Corinthians chapter seven, Paul gives this uh, in verse nine, chapter seven, verse nine. He says, "But if they do not have self control, let them marry." He said, "I wish everybody would be like me and not be married, but if they do not have self control, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion." In other words, are you going to ruin your Christian life with uh, issues related to lust and sexual sin? Well, then you're probably not the kind of person that shouldn't get married. You should probably get mm -hmm. married. So that's that's a good thing to uh, but but I love the the sort of 
I sympathize with what's behind the question that there's a desire to want to be careful and do what God wants in this very important area of life. But yeah, good talk. Good thoughts. Mickey G wants to know, will you make a video explaining the New Testament scriptures regarding homosexuality? And if so, can you explain your view on homosexuality here? Yeah, thanks for the question. It is something I want to get to. I mean, it, it's just a matter of timing. Uh, it is on my list for sure. When I get to it, I do not know. It's whenever the Lord's timing is. I feel that there are certain videos I need to get to before that. Uh, so I don't know. Like, I need to do the whole thing on women being pastors in the New Testament before I get to there. And there's some other things. But I used to tell people that... I was going to get to this topic, but I had to do videos on virtue ethics first because that'll lay the foundation so I can do this. But I still think there's other videos I got to do first to get to the real foundation, which is this. So all in God's timing, I will. Uh, so my view on homosexuality is this. that Yes, it is a sin in the Bible, uh, the, the specific act. I think it's pretty clear in places like Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6 as well, that it is sinful. Uh, people sort of equate that and say, well, then it's wrong to be a homosexual. Well, there are certain people that have that attraction that they say they can't help. And there are Christians that say that, and they just say they don't engage in it. Okay. Well then again, it's just the activity itself that is considered sinful. Why though? So the reason I think is a lot more complex than the way people make it. For one, I, I'd say it's more of a covenantal sin to sin against covenant with Christ. So it'd be the same reason that an Israelite could not eat pork. It was a way, the way the covenant was established between God and Israel. There were certain things Israel had to do to be a priestly nation. Likewise, in the New Covenant, Christians are the new priests of the New Covenant. Therefore, we have certain priestly roles. One of the things we do is we have to establish certain uh, sacraments or unions, I guess would be another way to put it, that represent God to the world. And the way Jesus has explained this is that the only marriages that are permitted are monogamous heterosexual marriages. These are the perfect way to, pre to represent symbolically uh, God's love for the church as well as God himself. So you, we know that Christ loves the church. Therefore, uh, husbands symbolically represent Christ and the wife symbolically represents the church in that marriage. So our marriages need to, in our covenant with Christ, our marriages need to represent what God has established. So there are certain things that Christians have to do that would not necessarily be required for non-Christians because of our priestly role. You know, same in like the old, old with the old covenant in the Mosaic law, like, uh, Israelites could not mix fabrics. They couldn't uh, wear certain things. They had to rest on a certain day. They had to eat, they could, regards, they couldn't eat certain things. It wasn't a moral sin to not eat pork. It was part of their covenant. They had to be a light to the nations and God gave them specific ways that they would be a light to the nations of the ancient Near East. This is something John Walton says. What could they do to be a light to those nations? Likewise, in our priestly role now, we have certain rules, stipulations, and uh, ways we have to portray Christ. One of the ways we do that is baptism. Another way is partaking of communion. Uh, and then we also have the uh, aspect of marriage. If we as Christians want to get married, we have to do it in a way that is in a that aligned with our priestly role. And the only marriages we're allowed is one that symbolically represents Jesus's love for the church. So that's the way I sort of take it. And I say why it's sinful for Christians. I hope that helps explains it. Yeah, the only thing I would say in addition to that, Michael, is just uh, one of the passages that you referenced, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Um, you made this point, and I think that this passage indicates the point that you made. The point that you made was uh, someone might have a desire or a temptation 
but that doesn't, it's the activity, it's the action that we're most concerned with. And sometimes people, Christians can even give the impression that if someone repents and trusts in Christ or becomes a Christian, for lack of better terminology, they become a Christian, suddenly perhaps God will completely take away all of those desires and all those temptations and suddenly they will be uh, they will have heterosexual desires. I don't think I can guarantee any one of that based on scripture. If I look at a passage, it, God can do that. God can do whatever he wants. And I, I have talked with people who claim he's done that, and I don't doubt them. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, uh, homosexuality and effeminacy are mentioned in a list with other things that are considered sinful activities. And Paul says, such were some of you, but you've been washed and you've been cleansed and Jesus and all of that. But what we need to notice here is that there was an, you know, adultery is also mentioned in that list. Are we to take it that a person is never again, a person who was an adulterer, a heterosexual adulterer, is once he becomes a Christian, never again to be tempted by adultery? Well, of course he will. Someone who was a thief is never going to be tempted to thieve again. Well, of course they will. And in the same way, it's not surprising if someone who struggled with homosexuality um, or uh, something like that would be attracted still after salvation. The, the question is, uh, that's how you used to be. That's how you used to engage. You're not engaging like that anymore. Exactly. Well said. So hope that helps. Eventually I'll do a longer video on it. I want to talk, I'm going to relate it also to Telios as well. So that, there's a lot to talk about there. All right. Lee says, since the Bible commands Christians to follow the government of the land, should they follow and obey Sharia law? So... The Bible does not say that we are to obey governments. It says we submit to their authority. So this is in Romans. The, the early Christians were commanded the sacrifice to Caesar. They said no, but they submitted to the punishment that came from them, and they became martyrs for it. And glory to God for that, uh, and the testimony they, they gave. So should we follow or obey Sharia law as long as it doesn't go against the gospel? I most certainly am not going to obey Sharia law when it says I can't proselytize. So... Sorry, I'm going to I'm going to keep doing what what the king of the universe commanded. I don't really care what these Muslim judicial petty nonsense is coming out. Uh, they tell me I can't proselytize. Too bad. I'm going to proselytize. You want to kill me? Fine. Uh, then, as Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs will be seed for the new church. You're just going to help Christianity grow. So, no, we don't obey Sharia law. We submit to the ruling authorities when they enact their punishments upon us. And the glory for Christ will come out of that. So, yeah, that's what I always say on that. Yeah, and you have a higher, like you just said, we have a king. And when I was just recently in Australia, I was talking to a group of mostly Asian students do, going to school in Australia. And I told them, I said, you know, because of this kingdom, I actually have more of a sense of unity with you guys than I do with many Americans, more of a compatriotism right. with you than I do my American right. brothers and sisters. And it's not that I don't appreciate being an American or have some sense of patriotism. It's just that I have that in the right order. And I understand that if my country ever were to require me to function or not function in a way that I know that my king would want me to, well, then I do what my king would want and I take whatever comes. And that's that's sort of the way we're called to, to, to be. And it has such this blessing of unity with other believers around the world, like I just said, not really the point of the question, but it, it kind of does. We're not like any other organization or membership or club. We are a part of the same body with different functions and the same blood that comes from the heart nourishes every cell. And so it's a, it's a powerful thing. Our highest authority is to that body and to that King. And it may well be that that puts us at odds with our government, but we don't look for that to happen. But when it happens, like you say, we submit, but we don't necessarily function in ways. We don't function in ways that would displease our King. Okay, the Bible defense, thank you for the super chat, says, I'm unsure on what happens in hell. 
some verses make seem you like you cease to exist once in hell or destroyed or died or decay or burning forever. Um, okay, so this is a question about perhaps what is hell like? Because whether the questioner knows this or not, there are actually various ways of thinking about the nature of hell. And mm -hmm. even within eternal conscious torment, which is one of those views, there are different ways of thinking about the nature of hell on eternal conscious torment, i.e., are you burning forever in literal flames and fire, or are you just eternally depressed, or is it like an eternal conscious goleming where you're just getting more like golem as the years go on? Um, and then there, there are actually other views besides the eternal conscious torment view, so um, maybe that sets up the question a little bit. Yeah, I would say um, I tend to be an eventual annihilationist is what I call it, the idea that hell is the act of annihilating souls. Uh, so we don't know what happens in hell. There are different theories like annihilationism, eternal conscious torment, even universalists. Some believe in a hell, but they believe everyone will get out of hell. So hell is the process of correcting people in that review. So it depends. I hope that last view is right, but we shall see ultimately. It's yeah. And I should say, I'm actually reading several books on universal evangelical universalism right now. Mm -hmm. And it, it is kind of eye opening because many atheists will say, well, if universalism is true, I don't care because I'll ultimately get there anyway. Um, but that's not thinking very realistically about the fact that you don't know how long you might experience whatever this hell uh, existence is. So even on the universalist view, which I don't hold, even on that view, I think we, have, we, we may have a pretty horrific thing that should cause us to pause at this sort of judgment, even if it's the case. I mean, think about it this way. Like, like you say, oh, it's no big deal, then we're ultimately going to get there. Yeah, what if you found out that one of your kids was going to be, or you yourself was going to be in horrible, debil a debilitating situation or a very depressed situation or what, or lonely situation for all of their lives? Well, that's only a span of 70 to perhaps 80 or 90 years. And yet we would never want that kind of a life for our kids. Well, you don't know how long you may experience this judgment if universalism is true. So I think there's some things to consider there because I so often hear atheists and others say, well, if I die and, and annihilation is true, I don't care, which same thing could happen there, especially if IP's view is right and you're going to experience something on your way to being annihilated. And then on the universalist position, you don't know how long you're going to suffer. So I, I think those are pretty glib and, and not very engaging ways of thinking about it. All right. Uh, to who says, is it likely that the Gospels were written before 70 AD? And if so, what is the best evidence for it? What are some good books for dating the Gospels? So Jonathan Bernier's book, Rethinking uh, Rethinking the Gospels or Rethinking the Dating of the Gospels is something like that. I forget the exact title of it, but something like that. I'm going to be doing a video on that soon, uh, working on it now. I do think John postdates 70 AD. I, I believe the synoptics predate it though. So I will be putting out some evidence for that coming out soon, early in 2024. So it'll be part of the reliability of the gospel series I'm putting out. So yeah, check out that one book I mentioned and look forward to the series. Never Sobers, uh, thank you for the super chat, says, was, was Joseph a cuck for believing his wife instead of the more obvious truth of infidelity? <laughs> so this is obviously an atheist, I think. Um, so no, because Matthew reports that Joseph had a dream where the angel also informed him that, uh, no, this is really from God. Joseph was going to divorce her. And then the angel says, you can't do this because this is actually from God. Trust me. This, so he had extra evidence given to him to believe Mary. His initial assessment was like, this is obviously infidelity. But then an angel shows up and says, no, you got to believe her. So 
he had an extra source that would could they confirm Mary's report. So keep that in mind. Jay James, how do you overcome the fear of sharing the gospel, having a greater fear of God over the fear of man? So start by just having conversations with people on things you might see in the Bible that are interesting. Like, you know, you could have a conversation. What do you think was going on in Eden? Or, you know, what do you think happened with David and Goliath? Do you really think, um, you know, Jesus actually did this, these sort of miracles? You know, bring up interesting facts you think someone might be interested in talking about and going with that. There are other things to discuss in the Bible, and that may open up a greater conversation about Christianity. You talk about, you know, do you really think there's a God out there? Have you seen evidence for God's existence? Like where do you, th you start by talking about the beginning of the universe and where it came from. And then that can segue into a conversation about God. So just try to befriend people and just start having conversations and segue into aspects that you could use to just open up as other conversation topics that would get eventually to the, the gospel itself. But it, these, these are long processes. You're discipling people. You're witnessing to them. It's not just, you don't want to just be the street preacher necessarily. You want to actually befriend these people and then try to have conversations you can sit around with. Yeah, I would just add to that real quick that um, when you are, there's there's three reasons I can think of why someone today would not want to share their faith or would be reticent to share their faith. And one, they're afraid they're going to not know the answer to something. Two, they're afraid they're going to say something wrong and confirm someone in a wrong belief. Uh, or three, it could be awkward. And that's not as silly as it sounds. That could include, uh, it could mess up a family relationship. You're worried about that or lose a friendship or something like that. But, but here's the thing. It really, it, here's the thing. The only reason these first two things are, could even possibly be problems is you not knowing something that they ask or you saying something wrong and confirming them in some false belief is if you plan to answer questions, you don't have a solid answer to. So here's what you say. You say, I don't know. And as long as you're willing to say, I don't know, which validates their question. Now you get to go learn if there's any animosity in the discussion, it's gone because you validated their question. And so as long as you're willing to say, I don't know, and you can be an answer finder for people right now, even if you can't be an answer giver like IP is yet, you can be an answer finder for people and go about it that way. Now, as far as it being awkward or whatever, um, look up pictures uh, or paintings of martyrs in coliseums and things like that. And just consider not to be rude, I have to remind myself of this, but just consider the fact that our forebears in the faith were willing to die violent and bloody deaths so that we could have this book in our laps or on our phones. And so I think we can push through a little awkwardness on occasion. All right. How do we know God isn't a God of aesthetics, but a God of morals? Wait, God isn't a God of aesthetics. Wouldn't an aesthetics God need beings to achieve his plans and wouldn't care about us? Um, why not both? Yeah. What in the need? I mean, that I, it's not one or the other. This is a false dichotomy. God can be both. God is a God of aesthetics and beauty and creation, but also a God of morals. It's not one or the other. So I don't see the the argument you're making. It's, this is, it's not an either or. Well, also, he, we seem to have this understanding of morality or these impulses toward morality that seem to indicate that he's interested in those things. As you said one time, uh, IP, the only real way to directly observe morality is to look inwardly at your own moral impulses and ask others what their moral impulses are. And I think we find across humanity that God, if there is a God, he seems to have wanted us to emerge with these moral concerns. Someone drove through my living room this morning, but I still wanted to be here for this live. Are you serious? That really happened? That's crazy. I appreciate it. Maybe you should 
maybe get some duct tape or something. I don't know. That might help. I I hope you're not in your living room right now. <laughs> I'm imagining them watching us on their TV and there's a big hole and like brick falling away next to it. Maybe there's still the car there. Maybe the car maybe is the car's still <laughs> I say, appreciate you coming. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but there's a cat in your house, IP. You might want to take care of that after we get done. I, I will a cat go past. I will sh take care of it. I will surely pet her and tell her she's a cute little wonderful girl. Disgusting. Disgusting. Nathan says, how would you respond to skeptics accusing Christians of <laughs> Spider-Man fallacy for certain arguments for gospel right? On our channel, I have IP and what do you mean answering that with me all together in one physical location. Yeah, Testify, the channel Testify also has got a great video on that. So you can go see my response on Braxton's channel or go watch Testify's video. He's got a really good video on that. Very, very last question. We are done after this one. What do you think the genocidal violence in the book of Joshua, especially since the downward spiral that follows in Judges, seems to be because the Israelites failed to actually finish off the, uh, the Canaanites, I guess? So the 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 point i would say is they were not supposed to finish them off but drive them out of the land and so there's a lot of uh hagiographic hyperbole in the book about utter destruction wiping out uh it's like joshua 10 it talks about them de destroying the the armies they utterly annihilated and wiped them out then the very next verse it says and the remnant of the art of the soldiers that were still around well wait a minute, i thought they wiped them out in the very prior verse and so there's Hygiographic hyperbole. I don't think it's genocidal. I don't think it's about utter destruction. It's about driving them out of the land, and they failed to do that. In the book of Judges, chapters one and two, it talks about keeping them. Look, Braxton, another cat. Uh, Gross. You really need to do something about that problem. You're right. I need to get more cats. You're absolutely <laughs> right. So, so, and so Judges one and two it talks about keeping the Canaanites as slaves, and that upset God, and He decided, okay, I'm not going to drive them out of the land. They're now going to turn around and oppress you because you're oppressing them. So keep that in mind there. Uh, there's a lot about that. I would study scholars like Kay Lawson Younger Jr. on that more. Great scholar. Um, but yeah, it's um, a lot, lot to talk about there. So, all right. We are going to close this out now. I appreciate Well, I, be, I greatly appreciate you letting me join you. The remaining people watching, Braxton's channel is linked below. Go and subscribe. You can see him uh, respond to Aaron Raw. Yeah, and I just posted uh, a comment in the chat, so if you just want to click my, my logo there, but I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Awesome, and again, we will be... Um, is that coming? No, let me put this on the screen. We will be... Braxton and I will both be in Florida in March. Let me put up this thing here. Apologetic Con 2024. Uh, it'll be starting Monday evening, uh, March 4 to 6, and you can see us both there. There'll be a lot of speakers. You probably want to come out and meet uh, Frank Turek, David Wood, myself, John McRae, Elite, uh, Alicia Childers. So yeah, it's going to be a great event. Come on out. A lot of stuff to talk about. All right. So that everyone, thanks for coming. We will see you next time. We will see you next time.